Passion, part 107, and on a Wednesday. I know, just, you know, the mavericks that we are. Yeah, mixing things up a bit now. Wednesdays, once a month, is when you're going to get your passion pod treats. Just shaking things up a little bit for a while, if that's all right with you. Plenty of other bits and pieces to keep your ears busy, by the way, though, in our back catalogue, which sounds all very grown up and serious. Um, But it's not. It just means that there's loads of these on iTunes, so go and find them. So, as I said, now we're on a Wednesday, uh, and we've also got a little extra magic, because... These are our very first sponsored passion pods. I know. Don't worry, we're not going all sort of full-on ad sponsor on you. Uh, But they are sponsored by the Bread and Butter Festival. So that is the UK's first food founders festival. So if you're starting a food business, as loads of people are now, you need somewhere, don't you, to go, to network, to hear stories, obviously apart from passion pods, stories in real life of people who've been there, who've done it and made a massive success. And that is what is happening on November the 12th and 13th at the Institute of directors and over the next couple of months we are chatting to some of the people who are involved or linked to the bread and butter festival itself first ones of which are hubbub.co.uk passion pod 107 chatting to lovely marissa hubbub.co.uk is basically a delivery service for food and drink and delicious edibles from small independents to your front doorstep that's the kind of general gist of it. Marissa is the founder of hubbub.co.uk, came from a background in human rights law, so slight change, um, and has gone on to build this business, which I definitely have noticed growing in a really quick way over the last few years. I love chatting to Marissa. Just a little heads up, though, it is quite echoey. They were literally about to move out of their office. They cleared everything out when I went to go and chat to her. So we were sitting in an empty shell of a former office. So bear with the echoes. met you out and about at dinner party how do you describe what it is that you do so i run hubbub.co.uk hubbub helps small shops compete with big supermarkets Uh, so we deliver food and drink from london's best independent small shops so we'll deliver from your local butcher baker fishmonger greengrocer you name it um, and the idea is to help these small shops compete with the big supermarkets. Yeah, so basically bringing up to speed, because online delivery for supermarkets now is like a really popular thing. I guess it's kind of doing the similar stuff for Exactly, yeah, exactly. So, you know, Hubbub started uh, for me, it was kind of born out of something that I really needed myself. So I used to be a human rights barrister, worked very long hours, and found that it was incredibly difficult, in fact, to get hold of the food and drink I really wanted to buy, because I wouldn't leave work until... 10 or 11 at night, by which time the only place is open. 10 or 11 at night, come on. That is (laughs) painful. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And then the only places open are supermarkets or takeaways. Uh, And on one hand, I didn't want to eat food of that quality. I wanted to eat much better than that. Yeah. Um, But I also felt like I spent every waking hour trying to make the world a better place. And then when it came to where I spent my own disposable income, I was putting it in the pockets of Tesco shareholders. And that really grated. It's like a double-edged, double-pronged thing for you. Totally. Yeah, I can see that. But the reality is that for most people working really long hours, supermarkets are really easy. And, you know, no one shops with a supermarket because they think they're better. They shop with them because they're easy. Convenience. Yeah. Yeah. And if it was just as easy to use the local butcher or baker, why wouldn't you? Yeah. No, absolutely. So um, It makes sense. Yeah. 
And you know, at the same time, these small shops are struggling to compete with the supermarkets because you know, supermarkets do home delivery, they sell online, you get everything under one roof. And so it occurred to me, you know, why can't I give them access to the same technology, the same logistics, the same marketing, the same data by pulling them all together? And together, working collaboratively to compete against the supermarkets. Oh, I just think it's brilliant. It's such a brilliant idea because it is that marriage of those things. Um, so give us, and how do you go from being, was it a human rights barrister yeah. you said, to setting this up then? You have these ideas, you can see the gap. Talk us through a bit of that journey, how, how it came yeah. about. Uh, so it took me a little while. I, so first of all, I left the bar. I gave myself three months to figure out what the business idea I was, you know, was going to come up with was going to be. I didn't leave the bar knowing you know, what it was going to be. Um, but quite quickly, this idea for Hubbub emerged, you know, because I was thinking about what are all the things that I missed, all the things that you know, I would like that I can't find in my life. Um, so when you left, you, it wasn't crystallised into what it exactly was then? No, not at all. I mean, I think like most people, when you're working really long hours, you don't really have the headspace to think about what you might want to do next, or even if you want to get another job, it's really hard to look for another job when you're already doing a job and working long hours. Um, but I knew... I'd always wanted to run my own business and uh, I was turning 30 and I thought, you know, it's kind of now or never, I don't have any other responsibilities and decided I'm going to give myself three months off to, to figure out what that thing is. But very quickly this idea for Hubbub emerged and evolved and I started to pull it together as a, as a plan and I then spent the next seven, eight months really pulling together the business plan, figuring out what I would need how much funding, how on earth would I get it off the ground? And at the same time, I was working as a human rights consultant in um, Belfast to pay the bills. And by the end of the year, I'd figured out, you know, the most difficult thing, the most expensive thing was going to be the website. Um, yeah, because I imagine all the way it operates and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and I also didn't drive, so the first thing I needed to do was learn to drive. Oh, God, so, just add that one into the mix. It's like, yeah, sure, change careers, start a company, and learn to drive. Yeah, run it, start a delivery company, and, and don't drive. So um, that's brilliant. I learned to drive in ten days. I, I wow. persuaded my boyfriend, who's now my husband, to let me do the deliveries in his mini. Um, that's true love, right there. <laughs> that's true love. It's like really trusting you here, so uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't let him teach me to drive, but um, yeah, no, that was tough, and. Uh, to start it off, we decided to do a pilot scheme, so um, I set up a very basic website. It looked quite good, but the back end was all manual, so customers would place orders, but in the meantime, I'd be running off to the shops and you know, hand-delivering them and you know, picking everything Full up. Full on. Exactly. So yeah. we built the website, um, you know, decided we were going to do the deliveries in, in Raft Mini using a cool box in the back. Um, went and pitched to a local butcher to see if he'd do the pilot scheme with me. Pitched to him, in fact, in the shop opposite, which was a deli called La Fromagerie in Highbury. And the owner of the fromagerie was there and over, overheard us talking and said, um, gosh, forgive me for eavesdropping, but this is a great idea and any chance I could get involved. Oh, that's made my heart That's amazing. so cool. What yeah. a, and such a reassuring thing for you Incredible. to be like, an, sort of investment in your idea, really. Totally. Well, they'd said, you know, we have customers asking us for deliveries all the time and we do it for customers as a favour because they're loyal and we want to look after our customers, but it's really hard for us to do it. We don't make any money out of it. We can't scale it and we'd love to be able to offer it as a service to all our customers, however much they spend, whether it's, you know, five pounds on, you know, a small cheese board or 50 pounds for a dinner party or whatever. 
Music to your ears. It's brilliant. Yeah. And they're still with us today. You know, this is some six years on. Amazing. And so that, I must just ask actually, at that stage, were you just doing this by yourself? Obviously your husband was helping out. Was it just you? Yeah, it was just me. I'm yeah. literally doing everything from uh, managing the website to writing the newsletters to doing the physical deliveries, handing out leaflets at stations in the morning. Wow. Um, like completely life consuming. Completely. How yes. was that? Uh, really, really good fun, actually. I mean, especially, you know, you take, you do a huge career change and you take a huge leap of faith and actually I, I really needed to understand the logistics, the customers, what did the customers need, what did they want, what did they like about what I, what I was doing, what other shops would they like on board, what delivery slots did they want, how much would they pay for delivery, you know, so actually doing everything myself at the beginning allowed me to talk to my customers on the doorstep. So um, full on, like real life market research. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and similarly to talk to the shops mm. and figure out what worked for them, what didn't, what were their concerns, how do you build that relationship, how do you make sure that your commercial model makes sense for them and for you. And that stood us in fantastic stead, really, as we grew the business. I just get a feeling, yeah, you really were picking apart everything before kind of really going for it. Yeah, Yeah. totally, totally. And then, so, how does that then shift to how you are today, five years in, not just you? Posters (laughs) everywhere, I see them everywhere in London, brilliant. Talk us through that sort of second part of the journey, I guess. Um... Oh, there'd definitely be more than two steps of the journey. <laughs> okay. Lots and lots of mini steps all the way through. Yeah, talk um, us through the main ones then. So, you know, we really grew, you know, as you, as you say, very kind of carefully and organically initially. Um, I, I was terrified to get things wrong and we didn't have very much money. Um, and running a delivery business is expensive because you need a fleet of vehicles from the get-go. The overheads, yeah. Totally. And, uh, you know, the first thing we needed to do was build a website that scaled, so not the pilot website that we'd started with, but... You know, the real deal, the proper platform. So to get that off the ground, um, I had a, a number of uh, the best um, agencies come and pitch to me for the work, identified the one that I thought was the best, which was Head London, and uh, persuaded them to do the build, but told them that I actually had no money and would they do it for equity. Um, <laughs> and they loved the idea, actually. The MD at the time was a guy called Ramsey Khoury, who was you know, one of the first people to back me and back the idea. God, how and he cool. said, I, I love this. Yeah, we'll do it. Again, another reassuring... Really well, amazing, big, yeah. absolutely amazing. So uh, he came on board. We built the site to start with together. Um, from there on in, we took the website in-house and it's transformed since the early days. Um, but without that... At the beginning, there's yeah. no way we'd have got it off the ground. If you don't ask, though, you don't get. That's a classic yeah. example yeah. of that, isn't it? Of yeah. really believing, having your stuff to just wave in people's face yeah. and being like, you know, yeah. you want to be part of this party. Yeah. yeah, and that's very much what we found from the beginning. People really loved the idea, got it instinctively. You know, it, it was something that really spoke to a need that a lot of people had. People work long hours. People have competing demands on their time. They're working. They've got families. You know, they'd love to be able to shop at all the lovely local shops and it's kind of become a luxury, something you do at the weekends if you have time, but you're probably not doing your main shop that way because you've got kids and buggies and it's just not practical. But if you could do it that way and it was just as easy as getting in a cardo shop, then then you would. Yeah, so realized. people immediately got it, um, you know, and, and helped. And so many people have helped along the way. Um, so then we... Uh, we needed to raise money as we went, so every time we did an expansion, we raised money ahead of that, and we really managed to do that through customers. Um, so every time we had a great piece of press or we'd send out a customer survey, people would write in and say, I love this idea, I love this business, 
we'd love to help you. Are you looking for investment? Which oh was my just God. like it's just plonk on my doorstep. Yeah, amazing. Really. So um, it was done through. It wasn't. Was it done through specific crowdfunding no, at any point? It wasn't really a thing even kind of five years ago. Amazing. Um, but you know, very early on, actually, we got a fantastic piece in the Evening Standard. And the response from that was just huge. And I remember, actually, it was shortly after we'd launched and I'd gone away um, to the Alps walking uh, for a long weekend. And, you know, I was obviously checking my phone and seeing if there were any orders come in. And it, it just started to go nuts. And I was like, um, cool. I might need to get back home. <laughs> I was like, I came here for some chilly yeah. out. What, how, what happened to that plan? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but it my was great. gosh. Absolutely great. So, you know, every time people would write in, I'd get in touch with them, we'd go for a coffee, I'd get to know them, they'd get to know the business a bit better, and as we wanted to raise a little bit of money, it was pretty easy to do. So, I'm interested in that, because that's a very unusual, well, I think, a pretty unusual situation to be in, in terms of funding your business. You know, did you, was, is it, did you have a sort of formula by the end, or did you have almost like you're sponsoring this part of the build or this part of the development how did it was it different with every person not really actually I mean so for the most part it was customers or people who were already close to the business because we got to know each other you know over several months Mm. before they'd invested and so they were already pretty close to the business Mm. so it wasn't a big deal um, but that had seen it in action almost exactly exactly so you know it's the best sales pitch when Mm. somebody's a customer and they've used it themselves but then, just over two years ago, I was out again looking to raise some money. We were trying to raise about half a million pounds, and somebody introduced me to a chap called William Reeve as a potential investor. And William asked me all kinds of questions about the business that no one had asked me before. And kind of good that I didn't know how to answer those questions. <laughs> Come back to me tomorrow. Exactly. Uh, no. Well, in fact, I said, "Look, here's the data. Have a look. You know, you let me know what you think." And actually, it was the first time that anyone had really lifted the skin of the business in that way and he helped me understand um, a lot of things about the business that I hadn't really seen before particularly about our customer behavior and the customer loyalty and his background so he was one of the co-founders of Love Film ah. and he'd been involved with a lot of subscription businesses since so Love Film, Grey's, uh, he was involved with Secret Escapes amongst others Great. so he understood lots and lots of things um, but in particular about customer loyalty and what he what he saw looking at the hubbub customers was that our customers were even more loyal than any of the subscription businesses he'd seen before wow. and we're not a subscription business yeah and he said you know this is really unusual and actually this is hugely valuable and that perspective was something I just didn't have coming from the law I hadn't seen other businesses didn't know how unusual it was um, and the other thing was, you know, we'd done very little marketing. We'd hardly spent any money on marketing because we just didn't have that budget. Um, and so the business, kind of for the last 12 months or so before that fundraise, had been fairly flat. Which for me, trying to raise money, I was terrified about because I thought, you know, this is going to be really tough. The business is not, you know, yeah. growing exponentially. And really in the back of your mind when you're pitching and stuff like that, it's difficult. It's tough. And yeah. what he said was... No, wait a second, you've spent no money on marketing and your business is flat. That's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, that's really unusual. For most businesses, you don't spend money on marketing and they just, you know, it just drops. Um, just that different perspective must have been yeah, so refreshing exactly. for you. Exactly. Just looking through someone else's eyes almost. Yeah, and, and that, that experience, which was really complimentary to mine and made me realise, well, he made me realise um, two key things. One, actually the business was a lot more valuable than I'd realised. And could probably support a bigger investment round so you know and actually doing deliveries is expensive it's capital intensive 
the Hubbard model is much less capital intensive than any other model that we know of, but still does require investment. And actually, he helped me see how we might go about doing that. And I also realised I'd love to get him involved, not just as an investor. And so we went out to pitch together and um, managed to raise a couple of million pounds together. Amazing. And then joined the business as my co-CEO. So, Amazing. God, that's great. Just so cool to see the transition of yeah. that. That was so, a real step change. Wow. And then from there to now? So from there to now, I mean, the, the bulk of that money we used um, to do two main things. So the first was to invest in marketing because we'd never done that before and all the customers we'd acquired had really been through word of mouth and they were incredibly loyal but the question was could you acquire more customers because you grow through paid for marketing control you know controlling your growth and how would those customers behave so we really needed to experiment with that so that's why you've seen the posters everywhere um, and you know no doubt lots of other things so we've done lots of experimentation we found a number of things that work really really well for us and the great thing is actually that all those paid-for customers, if you like, are just as loyal as the customers we were getting when I was signing them up myself on the doorstep. That must be reassuring as well, because it means that the essence of your business, even though it has had all this growth and development, yeah. is still like buzzing at the heart of what you felt totally. yeah. had at the mission at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Really yeah. cool feeling. Yeah. And that links to the second thing that we used the money for, which was to grow the team. So, you know, when William joined, he was, I think, the fifth person in the, in the business. Uh, so there were five of us in, in this tiny room, uh, just next door to where that we're one. sitting now. So that there's, little, there's tiny. a little tiny room yeah. over there. William and I shared a desk. He had a fishing stool actually perched on the edge of my <laughs> desk. So it's like, sorry, could you just jump off my lap, actually? It's a little bit cosy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now so, this was your space, although and now... Then, and then we kept that space. We turned that into our lunchroom and kitchen room and meeting room and... Yeah, filled this exactly. So the team now is how many people? So now we're about seventeen people. Wow, big jump! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a really big jump. And to make that jump, you know, most of that hiring we did in about three or four months, just before I went on maternity leave as well. Nice. So you know, and just after William had joined the business, so that was quite challenging. Crucial to timing. Hire a lot of people in a short space of time. When I knew I, I was going to be out of the business for at least a couple of months. Hard to let go of. Uh, hard to let go. And, you know, one of the challenges, is, one of the best things about Hubbub is our culture, kind of internally but also externally, how we look after our customers, how we work with all our shops. It's highly collaborative. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but we are like a family. We really are. Yeah, community. And how do you keep that when, you're going, when you triple the size of the team? pretty much overnight um, and when you're not uh, there to kind of yeah oversee yeah, it yeah really challenging and, uh, so we did a lot of work on what is the culture you know it just it just was beforehand you sort of didn't need to crystallize it or put it into a document or you know try and write down all the things that that show what your culture is but you know all of a sudden I was having to think how do we maintain this when we hire lots of people? How do we hire not just for skills, but also for culture without compromising on the skills? And The balance of everything. Everything's yeah. up at sort of, you know, needing yeah. to be sort of shoehorned almost. That's a bit yeah. aggressive, but channeled into the right yeah. bits. Yeah, and yeah. hiring the right people for the business as it was then, but also who are able to grow the business who share the vision of the, of, of the business and, and can really execute it too. It's interesting talking about that. I like to talk about challenges. I mean, what do you think, I don't know, have been your key challenges in developing your business? I think one of the hardest thing, things was definitely to build that team. Yeah. And to, to build the right team whilst preserving the culture. 
yeah, probably number one. Uh, number two is fundraising. Although it was relatively easy in the first few years, it's always, certainly as you try to raise more money, it, or larger sums of money, it's time-consuming and it's a massive distraction that takes you away from the business, it takes you away from the day-to-day running of the business, and it's a completely different skill set, actually, to running your business and to building your business. It's funny, actually. I've seen now there's so many more people who's, who are offering crowdfunding services. Yeah. It's suddenly like this yeah. whole business because yeah. for exactly that reason. Yeah. It means you're just yeah. away from Absolutely. your staff. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And crowdfunding has only really become a thing sort of in the last year or so, I'd say. So we've, we haven't ever done kind of official crowdfunding, if you like. Um, and it is something that we're thinking about doing but it also comes with its own challenges as well and it's very public it's a marketing campaign as much as anything else needs to be approached in a different way than the way you'd approach talking to a VC for example so assuming you're also talking to VCs you're kind of duplicating your efforts at the same time it's also because it's very public and it's a competitive space you need to be comfortable with sharing everything with everyone, uh, you know, and in the, in the knowledge that the people who are probably most interested are your competitors. Absolutely. So, so when you say it like that, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like yeah. a hornet's nest. It's totally. Yeah. <laughs> Dull advice. What advice do you think would have been handy, or you? What, what advice would you wish you could have given yourself when you first, I don't know, set off on this adventure? Is there anything that would have been a really good nugget? Looking back, I wish I had raised more money sooner. Uh, and gone faster. Really? I was terrified to, to make a mistake or to get things wrong or to let customers down or let shops down. Very conscious that you know the, the shops that we were working with had were entrepreneurs themselves, had spent many years building their own brands, that I needed to be true to those brands, that I you know very scared of putting a foot wrong. And so I was very, very careful. And, and I think in retrospect, I could have raised more money sooner. And, and maybe should have done because so we'd that, have gone faster. And you know, a couple of years ago, there was there was really nobody in this space, and it's now become very very competitive. And actually, we could have taken more advantage of of being first to market. I think. What do you think it was was that held you back from doing that? Um, as I say, I think it was not wanting to go wrong, not wanting to go wrong, and also really not being plugged into the investor community, not knowing how to raise money or who to raise it from or having any of those contacts. That just wasn't my background at all. Um, yeah, because it's a whole so, world in itself, isn't it? Yeah. You need to plug into. Yeah, and I was very focused on building the business from the ground up and you know, the whole you know, raising money is a skill set in and of itself, which I've had to develop over the last couple of years, but... That definitely wasn't on my radar in the early years. And I think if I was to do it again, it would be, yeah, raise more money sooner. And I think the other thing is don't leave any money on the table. So, you know, we've been oversubscribed in previous rounds and, you know, and, and turn money away. And now I would say, Bring don't back. do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Because it takes so long to raise money every time you have to go out that, you know, if it's there, if you've already done the effort, then... Yeah, take it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this passion pod is one of the first ones of this new set that we're doing for the Bread and Butter Festival. So I'm keen to talk a little bit about, you know, it's exciting. It's a festival that I think the first of its kind really in this type where people can come and hear from people like yourself that have, you know, been there and done it. 
what advantage do you think there is to kind of bringing a whole load of you guys together and do you see that that would have been a helpful thing for you at the beginning of your journey yes definitely um, so for me at the beginning I set up an advisory board of people to help me get Hubbub off the ground who had more experience and uh, expertise and contacts and things that I didn't have but none of them actually were tech entrepreneurs or food entrepreneurs they had experience in other areas but that would have been hugely helpful for me and I think I would have learned a lot more faster um, if I'd have had access to that sort of network or thought about getting in touch with that kind of network. It's the power, I think, of people that kind of get it or, yeah, maybe one yeah. step ahead of you or a couple yeah. of steps ahead of you, maybe. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's partly sharing very practical advice sometimes, but also there's an element of the emotional support, you know, starting a business particularly by yourself. It's obviously challenging and, it, you know, you need to be pretty resilient, but, you know, it's lonely, actually, and, you know, oh, you build hey, a yeah. phenomenal team, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it's still, particularly in the early days, it can be really lonely and it can be great to have a, a support network of people who are having similar issues to you or different issues or whatever, but make you feel like actually you're not quite so isolated and it's not you against the world, you're all in it together and remind you why you're doing it and the more people who can do that, the better. Ain't that the truth? And with an added clatter in there, just to emphasise the importance of that point. Uh, thank you so much to Marissa. It was so great to chat to her. And if you want to hear more from her, she will be at the Bread and Butter Festival, the, the kind sponsors of this passion bod, which is the UK's first food founders festival on November the 12th and 13th at the Institute of Directors. Look at us being all like sponsored and stuff so grown up um so as i said at the beginning all change wednesdays once a month we will be back in a few weeks time with another bread and butter flavored passion pod so make sure you join us for that in the meantime as i said plenty to keep your ears busy passionpods.co.uk or find us on good old itunes while you're there leave us a review we'll love you forever have a fantastic few weeks don't forget we're always on the twit twit at passion pods if you fancy having a natter otherwise october it is <laughs>